You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Natalie Oliverio served in the Navy for four years. For the past 10 years, she has been working on perfecting the recruitment process. It's pretty simple when you break it all down, treat people well, and the best interests of others first. Today, she is the founder and CEO of Military Talent Partners, a boutique talent consulting firm specializing in the career placement of veterans and military spouses. I connected with Natalie through LinkedIn, where she gives out advice and encouragement to those who follow her. She inspires me to keep working hard to share the stories of military women. I'm excited excited to share her experience today. Welcome, Natalie. I'm excited to hear more of your story. Thanks so much for having me, Amanda. Well, let's start with why did you decide to join the military? You know what? I went to college right out of high school and it wasn't a good fit for me. I wasn't in a position to really take it seriously and I wanted to do something different. And it just so happened that everybody in my family, my close friends, they really never believed that I would join the military. Uh, Being very extroverted, very social, very um, quote unquote girly, they just didn't believe that I could do it. And that made me want to do it more than anything. So I did. I I went to boot camp, um, had a little bit of a culture shock as I think most social butterflies would. And I, I joined... January 2001. So by the time I went to boot camp and to A school and was assigned to duty station, my first day underway was September 10th, 2001. So wake up, it's September 11th, the world has changed forever. And I feel massively unprepared for what this life is going to be like. That's crazy. Did you have like a history of military service in your family? I do. I have a long, long history of military service in my family from um, my grandfather, my uncles, cousins, a, a very long, long line of military service throughout my family and my husband's family. My husband is also, he's a, an army veteran. Okay. So there was a lot of military culture in your family, but no one expected that you would actually join. Yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to military bearing, that is really not something that would be associated with me and my personality. So, um, (laughs) and honestly, I was never really great at military bearing. It wasn't my strong suit, but (laughs) again, I did it anyway. I did it even though people were like, that's really not for you. You know, really you should just go back to school. Um, you know, pick something else. And I'm like, no, seriously, I'm going to do this. They're like, okay, well, if you don't, it's okay. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, go- I'm just going to go do it. That's great. I'm glad that you did. What did you do in the Navy? So I was a journalist in the Navy and I got to do an incredible med cruise in middle 2002. And there were some really scary times, but some really, really amazing times. And I would say that those six to 12 months really shaped a huge part of who I am today. What exactly is, do you say a med cruise? 
It's a, yes, it's a Mediterranean tour. So um, we started with the Rock of Gibraltar, which is literally just this big rock in the middle of the ocean. And when you get to the other side of it, it's a, it's a three mile long country and it's amazing. And so we started there and, and we traveled all around the Mediterranean. How cool. And so you said that you joined in early in January of 2001. And then by September 10th, you had finally finished all your complaint, your training and were on active duty, like actually doing your job. And then September 11th happened. So when was your, the Mediterranean cruise? Um, when did that happen? We left June, 2002. Okay. So about six, six to eight months after September 11th. Yes. And it, so from September to June, we did a lot of, um, workups for the deployment. So that's what we were doing when we were out to sea on September 10th is we were doing routine workup for workups for deployment, um, off the coast of the East coast. So, um, we were kind of just out there just starting our workups when everything changed and the, our plans changed and it was just an incredible reaction that I don't think, and I, I hope to God would never be duplicated. What do you feel like the military was like prior to September 11th? And then like, how did it change? Um, One of the best ways or best like visuals I can give you would be from September 10th and be, and before there were 10 duty, duty sections, which meant you only had to stand 24 hour duty once every 10 days on September 11th. And thereafter, um, for years, it went down to three duty duty sections. So you had 24-hour duty once every three days. So that there was a drastic change in force protection. Right. And that's just one small example of, of how everything completely changed. Yeah, I think that's a really good example because it was 1 to 10 to 1 to 3. That's a huge, a huge change and shows how, how... I think what I find most interesting when I talk to people who are in during September 11th is that the military has always been training for war because, you know, they're the military, but as a civilian, I never really thought about it. But then when September 11th happened, everything ramped up to another level. So it's not like, oh, we haven't been doing this. Now we have to do it. It it was being done, but it just had changed the intensity and where the focus was. Exactly. It was tripling down on everything that we had already been doing to do it bigger and with more force not that we were doing something well we were doing some things new but uh in large part it was it was just putting more of our forces in action so you said you were out at sea on september 11th we were so september 10th we were doing our workups we actually took a detour from those workups went to yorktown to onboard weaponry and then went off the coast of New York to patrol um, in case of any further attacks. So it was, it was definitely a unique situation. And I think that no matter where you were and what you were doing, especially if you were in service at that time in our lives, then you, you definitely had a, a very unique experience that will be with you forever. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy how much happened in one day. 
So it is. It's unbelievable. Did you face any struggles while serving in the military? Oh, I absolutely did. I I struggled to to fit in and to acclimate. I struggled being in a in a duty station where there were few women, mostly men. Um, and I, you know, I struggled to be taken seriously. And so there were a lot of different struggles that I think mirror struggles in, in women in the civilian world. In the military, they're hyper-focused mm-hmm. because you're in the specific military community. It's a smaller niche. It's a smaller scope. And those issues and struggles can be magnified when you're serving. So absolutely, several different struggles. I think all of those are um, struggles a lot of women face. And I feel like, exactly like you said, it like magnifies because as a female in the military, you stand out because you're, there's not very many. It doesn't, I mean, even though the numbers are growing today and it's like in the Air Force, I think it's close to 20%, it's still 80% male. And that means that you're surrounded by a lot of guys and just the culture of the military is male focused. So that makes it is. And even, you know, walking into the VA medical center, all the guys that I'll see in the waiting room, like here for your husband. I'm like, Nope, I'm here for me. Oh, were you a nurse? (laughs) No, I wasn't. But it's just those stereotypes that are still thriving. There's still alive and well, just like anything else in life. These stereotypes for military service women and military spouses alike totally still exist. Very true. I don't go to the VA, but I'm sure that would happen to me. (laughs) Do you have a favorite memory from your time in the military? Gosh, a favorite memory. It would definitely be the med crews the entire entire time. Um, Because while we were doing some really dangerous, scary things, it was also one of the best times in my life and getting to share that experience with people that I really cared about people that I were, I was closer to than some of my closest friends in high school. Um, I mean, these people just became a part of your life in such an intimate way. That's hard to really explain to anyone that hasn't served, but these people just become your family, especially when you're under, you're out to sea or underway for months at a time these people are all you know. They're all you see every day. They're your new normal. And so getting to have these experiences with those people was priceless. It was incredible. I agree. Can you, you keep saying that you did dangerous things. Can you tell us, can you tell us what you were doing or is it still classified or? Yeah, I, I'm sure we can. So I, no one's ever told me that I can't. <laughs> we, so we were on a guided missile destroyer, part of the George Washington battle group. And so we were leading the the carrier, the biggest ship, through like the Straits of Gibraltar, which is between Gibraltar, that small little three mile country that I had mentioned earlier, which is owned by the British. It's also off the coast of Spain, and it's very close to Morocco, so the tip of Africa. So that that strait is so narrow that it's it could be under attack from multiple countries. And it's a very hostile area as far as like 
um, smuggling, pirates, things like that. Um, so we actually did a lot of vertical board search and seizure or VBSS missions where we would actually take a smaller boat off of our boat and then pull right up alongside another boat and board that boat to search it and to seize anything that was illegal. Um, so there were a lot of different things like that that were happening. And just to give you another time frame reference, I remember pulling into Scotland and there were newspapers everywhere about the DC sniper. So it wasn't long after September 11th that that DC sniper was like shooting people down at gas stations. Do you remember that story? Yeah, I remember that. Crazy. And I just remember thinking, my God, what is happening to our world? And I was on the other side of the world doing completely different things, but um, yeah, gosh, we just did so many different things. When you're on a cruise, you think of all the port calls that you do, which is definitely what I think of because it's the highlight, but there's also a lot of missions that come with that deployment. Um, and a few things that I mentioned are just very small perspectives of a much larger mission. Um, so a lot of different exercises, a lot of joint exercises with foreign countries, um, and then actual implemented missions. So you guys were busy when you were out overseas doing all the different things that you guys were doing. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like to be on a ship for such a long period of time, especially because I'm guessing there were only a few women on the ship? Yeah, there were less. I, I want to say there's 27 women and almost 300 men. So it was very different. When I think about it now, I feel like I've grown to be more claustrophobic as a older, as a, as a uh, more of a grown up than I was when I served. Because when I think about those spaces, it makes me like hold my breath and in, in, in anxiety because it's it's pretty tight down there and. Um, again, you, you just feel so close with your shipmates because they're it's such small quarters and you sleep three to a rack and, um, in, in the birthing area where you're sleeping and, you know, you all eat at the same time on the same mess decks. And we would have these things called steel beach picnics out on the flight deck. Um, after we were underway for so many days, we would actually like the, the chefs would come out and they would cook like hot dogs or hamburgers or chicken and have like a cookout barbecue, but on the flight deck on like non-skid. So it wasn't necessarily like cozy or comfortable, but it was so much fun. And then there were some occasions when they would drop the, the sides of the, of the railing, we could jump off the ship and go for a swim call, which was super cool. And I can't describe how amazing like the middle of the ocean is to like jump off and swim into because it's like a feeling of infinity because it's so big and it just makes you feel like, wow, I can't, it, it, it's, it's hard to put into words, but it's also extremely salty. It's like, if you feel salt, if you taste salt water, like towards the, like the tide or the, when you're on the shore, it's salty, but like imagine that highly concentrated out into the bigger body of the ocean. So I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I remember my eyes like stinging because it was so salty. And then they literally had people on patrol 
ready to shoot away like a shark or something that would swim up because it was like the wild ocean. You just don't know what's going to come up around you. It's, it's incredible. But there are things like that that are so fun. We did like talent shows or comedy night, um, different things when you're out to sea for like a long time, just to keep morale high, especially in such crazy times globally. Um, that was such an important thing and it definitely made a huge difference. Yeah, it sounds like you have a really interesting experience and got to do a lot of things. And then you also got to do some unique things that I've never really heard about. But that sounds really, I was wondering about the shark. So I was like, but are you in the middle of the ocean? Aren't there like animals out there? Yeah, there are. It's so funny. Um, But yeah, they had somebody in a rib boat, a smaller boat, like off the ship ready to uh, protect anybody that was coming up or anything that was coming up to get us. How crazy. Yeah, it really is. And then like we would, I think that some of the most beautiful things I've seen in life are like standing watch at night out on the flight deck, completely pitch black, but like a million stars and there's no lights because the ship would go totally dark at night. So there's nothing interfering with the sky or the ocean. So it's just total black and on a clear night with millions of stars. And then the phosphorescent coming off the ship would look like diamonds in the water. It was so beautiful and something that's hard to imagine unless you've seen it yourself. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. And I bet watching the sunrise and all that just to be out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, just it's incredible. It's such an incredible, beautiful experience that it's just like a bonus, you know, from, from being out, out to sea or being in the service mm-hmm. in the Navy that it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime type of experience when you witness something so beautiful. And it's those moments that really help bring you back to feeling normal and to re- remembering who you are or inspiring you to move forward, regardless of the mission or the situation or the environment or the duty. It, it kind of just gives you some peace and some tranquility and some stillness that's really important. That sounds really neat. So you were in for four years. So what was it like to transition out of the military? I had a really bad transition experience because I I thought I could do it all on my own. I thought I had it all figured out. And I didn't. So I quickly realized that, but I didn't know how to get out of that situation because I, I didn't really understand what the resources available to me were and how to use them. I didn't really know how to ask for help. I went back to school and graduated, but when I first got there, I was 24 years old amongst 18-year-olds who just graduated high school. And they didn't know how to talk to me and I didn't know how to talk to them. And what we had just done was so vivid in my in my memory that it was hard to feel like I belonged anywhere. And I I questioned you know, should I have gotten out? Should I have stayed in? And because I knew who I was when I was serving, I, I had a clear identity. And, you know, a lot of that took some breaking and some real training to get me 
to who I was. And I didn't want to lose that, but I, I felt like I just was so out of place, almost as if I was like held back in school a couple of grades. And now I was like this older, out of place student that didn't belong is how I felt. And then after graduation, I started working in HR at the VA and I was miserable. It was not for me. I could have died there. It was so boring, so dry, so not anything like me. And had I not met a recruiter who made me realize that that's actually what I wanted to do, not typical HR, I don't know what would have happened. But luckily, I got a recruiting role and just killed it, totally crushed it fell in love with it, naturally good at it. And I, I was thriving. But also everybody that I reported to or worked for was so much younger than me. So again, I had this complex of kind of being frozen in time while everybody else was like going on and progressing in their careers. I was still held back because I chose to serve in the military. And my military service didn't really count for anything when it came to going to school, except for some military science credits, and getting a professional career. It didn't really get me anything other than starting over from scratch. So that's a really tough pill to swallow. And it's hard to mentally and emotionally understand you're not being put down or held back. You're just doing something different. So getting that mindset in the right place was really critical to being able to move forward into a successful place. That is a really good observation because I think the military teaches you and they like they teach you what to do and then they give you responsibility and then you get out and go back to the civilian world and it's not the same. And so I feel like that like being like you're held back is kind of an interesting way of thinking about it because you were experiencing things but sometimes you can't relate those to civilian life and like you said you're a lot older than the people who are you are working for and that's an interesting perspective yeah and i uh you know it's it's, it's definitely my experience and i know the same experience for many others i feel like the military didn't do a good job of explaining how much purpose um, you get from serving in the military. And when I went through TAP, they were so focused on like, you need to find a new job, you need to go back to school, you need to do this. And I was getting out to be a stay-at-home mom. So I didn't really, I only went because I had to go. But I felt like when I got out and I've lost that purpose, no one told me that was coming. And so that was a really, that was the hardest part about transitioning for me was losing that sense of purpose and belonging and then becoming a military spouse and mom and not feeling like I belong anymore. Absolutely. It's it's like having your whole identity stripped. Now you're given a new identity as a veteran and a mill spouse and a mother. But who are you mm-hmm. as a veteran and a mill spouse and a mother? No one can really teach you that because that's for you to decide. Only in the military, you didn't have to decide. You didn't pick anything for yourself. Everything was picked for you. Mm-hmm. So now you're faced with something you're you're not, you may be ill-equipped to do. You don't have a real identity. You just know what you're supposed to be doing. But how does that all fit together? So unless you have a mentor, a, a program, tools, and someone who can really listen and understand, you're going to struggle. But the good news is there's so much out there to help you now more than ever before. That's so true. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what resources you found and ones that you recommend to people getting out of the military? Absolutely. And I 
So three years ago, after I got out of the military, I started working as a corporate recruiter. I spent 10 years as a corporate recruiter and I really love recruiting, but it was still unfulfilling because I wasn't able to do enough recruiting for vets and spouses. At every company I worked for, it was just not a priority and it bothered me. So three years ago, I started volunteering as a mentor and I volunteered so much. It was in excess of 40 hours a week on top of my 40 hour a week job. Mind you, I've just had a baby. I have a husband, a wonderful family, a social life. I am not bored. This is being done out of pure passion. And it was a natural fit for me. Recruiting and mentorship, in my opinion, really go hand in hand. And I knew if I wanted to accomplish my goals and to really make a difference, I would have to create a company all my own that could combine mentorship and full life cycle recruitment. And and that's exactly what we do at Military Talent Partners. So... First and foremost, mentorship. Mentorship matters. It can absolutely change the game for anybody who takes it up. Anybody who gets a mentor. It will open your eyes. There are incredible free resources, including military talent partners. We work with Venerati, American Corporate Partners, the Travis Mannion Foundation, Elite Meet, and militarytransition.org. And most if not all of these entities will provide you with incredible free resources, especially for mentorship, which is an amazing, powerful tool. In my experience as a mentor, I have witnessed hundreds upon hundreds of spouses and veterans who need more than mentorship, who need someone to really teach them, to show them how to implement key tools and skills to successfully transition to their next career. So earlier this year, we launched Mission Career Transition. It is a paid executive coaching program. It's a career accelerator and it's all online, accessible from anywhere. And it's a six-week cohort of collaborative, high-performing peers holding you accountable and going through it with you. That sounds like a great program, especially for someone who's trying to move forward and get from the military to the next phase. It really is. It's, it's not a workshop. It's, there's no PowerPoints. There's no podium lectures. It's not like, here, spend a couple hours with me and I'll tell you all you need to know. That is not what this is. You can get that anywhere. This is where we're showing you personally, one-to-one, how to implement this for you, Amanda. What's your why? What's your personal brand? How are we going to put that voice into your resume and your profile on LinkedIn and your elevator pitch and teach you how to properly network and how to successfully interview and carry that why and your purpose and your brand through the interview phase so that you get the offers that you want. And then by the way, we're also going to help you negotiate those offers to make sure you walk away happy. It's full, it's cradle to grave career transition, understanding what you want to do and why to locking in those offers and walking away with everything you wanted. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've realized that with tap it is so like focused on getting a job and not focused on like what you actually want to do. It's like, Oh, you were in a, engineer in the military. So now find an engineering job instead of like thinking, I have my military service, but what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And finding that why and that passion makes it so that you find a job that isn't a job. It's something that you want to do every day and can help you move forward. Exactly. Any high-performing veteran can come out of the service and get a million jobs. 
you can get, you can seriously go and get three or four job offers really quickly, but that is not the goal. The goal is to get a meaningful career so that six to 12 months down the road, you are not sitting there starting from scratch, wondering what the hell you really wanted to do because you're doing it. Your life post-military is going to go by so much faster than your military time did because now you're older, you know more, you've got more pressure on your shoulders, you've got a family most likely. You only have one chance to live your life to the best ability you can. So why not just get it right the first time and find that meaningful career so you don't have to worry about it anymore? So that you know you're living your purpose and you're making the best of your time on this earth. Yeah, that's really a great information. And I'll put links to all the um, resources that you listed. I've used Veterati a few times, um, and they've given me points to push me in the right direction, and it's a great free program that's out there. So I'll make sure to have all those in the show notes so that people can find them. Awesome. That's perfect. And then my last question is, what would you tell girls considering joining the military? Girl, don't you let anybody tell you you can't do it. Because if I can do it, anybody can do it. And you have more power and talent and capability than you ever thought possible. And there will be moments when people will push you to your breaking point. But you will not break. You will be stronger and better and smarter than you ever imagined. So don't let anybody hold you back. Don't let anybody ever tell you you can't and just go for it. Yep, that's great. That's great advice. That's so true. I think you should go for it. And I liked what you said because the military does push you. It's not easy, but you do come out the other side and you're stronger and you're like, whoa, I did that. Oh my gosh. Listen, I remember this petty officer at boot camp. They call him the rain man, the rainmaker, because he would PT you so hard that the walls would start to condensate. You would sweat so hard. It'd be so hot and steamy in that room from the energy that was forced out of you to swim that the walls would start to condensate. And I was terrified of this man. I was so afraid of him. And here he came, his shiniest shoes, prettiest dress blues. He comes in and he cracked his hand on this desk. And it was like a, it was like a thunderbolt in my memory. And he had us like start doing arm circles. I don't know, for like 45 minutes. And the guys were on, the, the men were on the right side of the, of the barrack and the women were on the left. And the men were crying so much harder than the women. And so suddenly I felt like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm probably not going to die today, so I'm, I can get through this. And that fear of this one individual with this, with this scary, intimidating nickname could have almost broke my mental, my mental state because I was so afraid. I was like trembling. What is this guy going to do to me? Like how many eight cow bodybuilders could he possibly squeeze out of me? I'm only one human. Am I going to pass out? These are things that were like going through my head. And I just remember this tall, muscular, athletic guy like whimpering because his arms hurt so bad from the arm circles. And I'm like, man, I got this. So it's finding like that strength in your own psyche and understanding that you are a badass and you can do anything. Arm circles or whatever. 
Yep, that's so true. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. I loved hearing about your military experience and what you're doing to help military or veterans who are transitioning out of the military. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. It's been great talking with you and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.